Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Jason, welcome back. Glad to be back. Right on. Well, uh, we're here to talk about AJ Eaton and the interview with him down in Los Angeles. That was awesome. Yeah, I, I really was good. really impressed with him as a human being. He is a super smart dude who um, took a rural upbringing in Idaho and turned that into opportunities. And he did that by just keeping his ear to the ground and looking for opportunities to work with creative people in Idaho and to learn the craft of filmmaking. I like um, when he said he was from Pocatello, correct? Right. Um the way he got his start into doing videos, very similar to the program they had here in, in Yakima, where you could learn the ropes down at one of the local TV stations and then take a class and then you can make your own films. Yeah. yeah. Like local access yeah. t- stuff. Yeah. It, it was inspiring because you and I grew up in you know rural Eastern Washington. Yeah. And I think a lot of us that grow up around here get this feeling like that, uh, you know, working in film is only for people that are in Los Angeles. Exactly. You know, and, and of course, AJ, that's where he ended up is Los Angeles, but he got his start in a rural part of Idaho where they don't have a film school, but you don't need a film school. No. And so I, I appreciated his journey, uh, being kind of unconventional that way. And, uh, he certainly had some opportunities that were amazing. Like, you know, just knowing David Crosby through his brother, right. his brother's a musician, that doesn't happen every day No, <laughs> that you run into people like that. But what he did is he capitalized on that opportunity by having this idea. And his idea was to turn on a camera and start recording. Yeah. No backing from a studio, no money, uh, just basically an idea and a passion for telling this story. And taking on David Crosby. Oh, yeah. Big undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's not for the, the faint of heart. No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. And then for him to, to invite me into his, uh, basically his editing bay mm-hmm. down in Los Angeles and to spend that amount of time with someone who is so tuned in to the industry and so creative and also someone who, like a lot of our other guests, clearly is not in this for money and fame. And I think that the money and fame are finding their way to him. Um, Probably now, yeah. You know, despite the fact that he isn't really searching for it as his primary goal. But that's what's so beautiful about those types of journeys is that when you, when you keep your head down and you do the work and you're passionate about storytelling, I think those types of people, it's almost like the cream rising to the top. You know, they're eventually going to be seen and heard and recognized and appreciated. That's a perfect way of describing it. Actually. Yeah. And here he is, you know, age 40 with a, uh, a Grammy nomination and coming away with best um, music documentary at the Boulder International Film Festival, all kinds of accolades. And I, I see really nothing but success for him down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about listener reviews. Um, we got some good reviews? Well, we have one. Okay. That okay. was probably me, actually. Yeah. No, <laughs> Thank you for that, Jason. No, <laughs> Chubby Buddy 201. That's it. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, so every time 
I get a review or we get a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, I, I just get really excited because what it tells us is that people are listening and they are appreciating what we're doing. And so this review from uh, December 16th from someone whose screen name anyway is Grahammy22 mm. on iTunes. It says, music fan must listen. I knew I was a fan of the Dream Path podcast when I caught myself repeating things I heard on the podcast to my friends. Must listen podcast for music fans and people interested in the industry. Brian's organic and engaging conversations lead to very entertaining guests. So Very nice. Yeah. Um, you know, it is a little bit uh, tuning my own horn to read those, mm -hmm. but I, I just can't help myself because I feel like there's a community starting to build. There is, yeah. Around the podcast. And I'm hoping that if other people are listening and liking what they hear, that they'll go on to whatever app that they're listening to when they're hearing us and leave a review of some kind, even if it's just the stars. You don't have to write anything, but especially when you write something about it, like this person did, um, it's very much appreciated. So thank you. I think any word of mouth helps. Yeah. And that's, this is a grassroots podcast. We're not backed by corporations. We're not backed by media companies. We're doing this a hundred percent all on our own with nothing but a desire to tell other people's stories. Yep. Yeah. So thank you for all of your reviews and for listening. So uh, what are you listening to and watching these days, Jason? Well, I got uh, inspired listening to Nasal Rod, listening to Mud Honey. I was kind of reflecting on some of the old uh, Mud Honey stuff that I had. And I found some other Northwest grunge stuff that I had totally forgotten about. Do you remember a band called Black Happy? I do. Yeah. Yeah. They were from Boise, Idaho, but they kind of claimed themselves more of a Seattle group because they kind of got really big following up in Seattle and Ellensburg. And, and so I have a CD of theirs that I found and was listening to that. Was that early 90s or late 80s? 93. 93. Okay. Yeah, 92, 93. And then um, another band called Tree People. I remember Tree People. Yeah. Also Northwest, uh -huh. early grunge, 91, 92. Yeah. You're really digging through the archives there. Yeah. I was just kind of like thinking, you know, how music changed so fast in those days, going from the late 80s into the 90s, how, how much it exploded and how it changed so quickly. We kind of went to this, we were definitely coming out of this sort of hair rock era, you know, at that time. And it was really changing in Seattle. Like Seattle was doing something completely different. Yeah, the, the hair rock stuff uh, with, um, I don't know, it did seem to be kind of a transition from uh, punk into, and it kind of, punk kind of splintered, I think, into, you know, the hair metal bands. Mm -hmm. But then there was also bands like Mother Love Bone. Mm, yeah. And uh, the Melvins. Oh, yeah. And Mud Honey. And you have this Northwest grunge scene that was completely unique. And I think that's why they call it Northwest grunge is it was unique to the Northwest. And, and then there's this sweet spot, I think, of late 80s to early 90s, mm -hmm. where, you know, the Soundgarden movement and Mudhoney, you know, sort of um, transitioned into something that wasn't so great. <laughs> and that was like mid to late 90s. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the mid to late 90s rock scene, still depressing. Oh, when I know. I, when I look back, I mean, there's some there's some decent music. There is. You just have to look for it a little harder. Um, but I don't know. It's just an embarrassing 
like the fashion was embarrassing. The, <laughs> the music was embarrassing. So like when I think about that era, I don't show my kids any music from the, <laughs> from the 90s, unless it's early 90s grunge. Well, there's some yeah. good mid to late. There's some good stuff that came out. But I think of that era as between like 95 and 2000 as the era without guitar solos. There were a lot of songs that didn't have guitar solos in them. Like Nickelback? Nickelback's a good, pretty good example. Yeah, um, or Hanson. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'd forgotten about them. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, I think it was a boy band era, too. Yeah. Is the, the 90s really brought things down with this corporatized, you know, puppeteer kids that were, you know, sort of the Disney kids. And, totally. You know, one person who made it out of Disney who actually became a real songwriter and a musician is Justin Timberlake. Oh yeah. He's much different than the rest of those. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he really made a name for himself. And I think he's probably one of the more talented songwriters out there in terms of like R and B and that type of thing. Um, but I don't know how we made our way to Hanson and uh, <laughs> Justin Timberlake from, from grunge, nasal rod and, and mud honey. I don't know, but I'm glad grunge happened though, because I worked in radio in the late eighties and all we played was, Poison and Guns N' Roses and Warrant and that yeah. stuff just kind of graded on me after a while. Yeah, the Guns N' Roses, though, I, I wouldn't put them in the same category as like Warrant. I, I would only that because we played them a lot. Oh, okay. Got just really tired. Of it became them. top 40. Yep. Yeah, Guns N' Roses definitely became top 40 yep. back then. What was the Guns? What was the 86 album, Appetite for Destruction? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's still like one of the probably top five rock albums of the entire decade. I agree. In the, in the 80s. I, I agree. Think. It's one of the best ones. What are you listening to? I am listening to the Cave Singers. Hmm. Uh, they're, they're a band that is, I think they're Northwest. I think they're Seattle based, perhaps. I actually don't know where they're from, but they do tour the Northwest. Okay. And, um, so they're in Spokane quite a bit in Seattle and they're doing these, um, I forget the name of the company that is doing these living room shows, but they're playing living rooms. And that's like a thing now where hmm. bands are showing up and there's like 40 people tops that will show up to these and they're in people's living rooms. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, the, I have not gone to any living room shows, but I'm following them on Instagram and I'm, I'm like envious of the people that are attending these things because they're very intimate. I would imagine if you don't know anybody there, it would be a little awkward. Like mm -hmm. you're sitting on someone's like lazy boy, <laughs> in the, you know, like um, trying to enjoy the music, but like, where am I? Whose mm. house is this? Right. But it's still, it looks really fun. And uh, the Cave Singers, I did see them at the season's performance hall in Yakima once, and I got a chance to meet them at a bar afterwards. They look like cool people, but really what I appreciate is their minimalism in terms of their approach to music. They have like a snare drum and their guitar player will have kind of like the edge, early edge U2, you know, almost play like single notes. Oh yeah. On the guitar. And it's very hypnotic. Like, like delay and stuff? No, not a lot of delay, but there's just a lot of repetition. Okay. So if you're listening to this music, um, and I wish I could play a sample for you here, but you would not immediately say, oh, this is rock and roll, or this is folk, or this is blues. You're kind of trying to put your finger on what it is. And that's what makes them unique. So I, I like the Cave Singers. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, they're talented. Good lyricists too. And I'm also uh, watching a show called Rick and Morty. <laughs> 
I love that show. Yeah. My youngest daughter showed me, she, she insisted that I watch it and I resisted for a long time. Right. It was a cartoon. Yeah, I know. I did the same thing. And uh, finally broke down and I watched it and I'm like, this is actually really smart. <laughs> really smart television. And funny. And super funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely storylines that you're never going to see anywhere else. I mean, this this show is pretty singular. But I, I like being forced into expanding my horizons in terms of the type of uh, shows I watch and books I read. And um, another show that I'm watching, or I just finished actually, is Succession. Season two on HBO of Succession, which hmm. is a show about, it's kind of a, almost like a black comedy um, it's a drama, but these characters are so absurd and ridiculous that you can't help but just laugh. <laughs> but they're they're like billionaires, and billionaires I think are inherently funny because they're so isolated in their own little universe that they don't realize how ridiculous they are, and so they become these caricatures of themselves. Right. They have no feedback in the real world as to how just awful they are, <laughs> you know? And so that's what's kind of fun about watching Succession. And um, also, I just finished uh, reading a book called Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrell. Oh, yeah. Which uh, was very eye-opening in terms of the, the power that media companies have and, frankly, just rich people have in this country to be able to get away with crimes, basically. Right. And that's what Harvey Weinstein did. Yeah. For years. Yep. Uh, he got away with um, sexually assaulting women and intimidating those women into signing confidentiality agreements and non disclosure agreements and hiring people. I mean, I, I, I won't go into all the details. Just look up the reviews on Amazon or whatever. It's an amazing book. Ronan Farrow is, is like a folk hero, I think. It's uh, Mia Farrow's kid. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the Me Too movement. Yep. Uh, very impactful dude, and I hope to be able to talk to him one of these days. That would be good. And um, the next book I just started was, uh, or is, a book called Deal by Bill Kreutzman, who is the Grateful Dead drummer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, I think it came out a couple of years ago, and it's I'm listening to it on tape. It's a book on tape, and it, it's being read by some dude who is trying to talk like him, and so, like, kind of like a, a really old rock and roll star. Mm -hmm. And so, the, the narrator of the book's like, and then we took these chicks back into, you know, our apartment, and boy, did we have a good time. It's like, <laughs> what kind of, you know, so I'm not sure I'm going to make it all the way to the end of this book, <laughs> because there's just a lot of stories like that. And, you know, one or two stories about sex, drugs, and rock and roll are interesting, but it, pretty much every other page is you know, him bragging about the amount of acid that he took <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the sex that he had with uh, Phil Lesh, the bass player's girlfriend. <laughs> and so it's a little gossipy. Boy, it just sounds so boring, that lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's been entertaining for the first few chapters, but I think I'm going to move on from that one. So what do we have coming up next? Uh, we have a character coming up. His name's Chris Kincaid. Ah, uh, Chris. Yeah. yeah. I have not listened to that interview yet, but I remember the talk with him down in Los Angeles in his house, and I really enjoyed getting to know him. And I immediately, and this is what I say about some of my guests in the past too, you come away feeling like you've made a friend. Oh, yeah. And that's Chris. Yep. And I, I really like expanding my friend network. I'm kind of in that stage of life where I'm reflecting on 
what I have, you know, in terms of what I what I've accomplished in terms of relationships. Right. And uh, I feel like in the friend department, I'm a little bit deficient. <laughs> I don't think I've cultivated and nurtured friendships like I should have over I'm the years. In the same boat, man. And so to make a friend like Chris immediately and have that connection, and hopefully um, people will enjoy that conversation as much as I did. I connected with him on Facebook, I think, a couple of years ago. That's right. You're the one who told me about him. Yes. Yeah. And he's he and I think a lot alike, politically, intellectually. Yeah. And I just feel like immediate. I don't know why it wasn't so immediate that I didn't think of it right away. But yeah, last year we were sitting here talking about who who could we get on the show. And that was all of a sudden I'm like, ding. Yeah. Chris and Kincaid. When we haven't talked about who he is or what he does, but Chris Kincaid is an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a musician. He is a singer. He is a harpist, if that's what you call them. I think so. Someone who plays a harp. Mm-hmm. A very unique instrument that not many people know much about. Certainly, I didn't. I don't. Um, he is really good friends with an A-list uh, movie director named Nick Cassavetes. Right. Who is John Cassavetes' son. Uh, and Nick directed The Notebook and Alpha Dog. And it's another Justin Timberlake reference, because I think Justin was in that movie, Alpha Dog. Right. And um, he is also a massage therapist to the stars. Yeah. So. <laughs> Interesting life he He's has. an eclectic dude. He's got yes. a lot going on in his life. He's, he's seen a lot and has been through a lot and has a unique story to tell. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Me too. Great. Well, Jason, as always, thanks for a great talk and a nice uh, recap of the AJ episode. I appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Dream Path Podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time, and as always, go find your dream path.